if you don't know, this seminar is connected to a book that uh, was published in the end of last year uh, that Charles and I did. He's doing the seminar next after this, so if you want to stick around and hear more interesting stuff, that's going to be him. Uh, but this is the book. It is called Arminian Baptist, A Biographical History of Free Will Baptist. And that's kind of the, the springboard. Now, I'm not just going to go through things in the book, because then again, you can read the book. Um, but what I wanted to do is to kind of give, um, and I don't know, this is a little bit nerdy, I, I, I totally admit, and it's, it's history stuff. I'm, I'm a history teacher, and, um, and, and this is kind of my field of looking into Baptist and free will Baptist history. Uh, but I wanted to give kind of a, a description of the idea, the idea surrounding the free will Baptist history and how that story is told particularly when it comes to General Baptist of the 17th century. So that's kind of my area of expertise and interest is General Baptist of the, the seventh. So I put early General Baptist um, identity. So the question is who tells our story? And whether you like it or not, I'm gonna steal a line from the musical Hamilton, uh, which uh, in, in, this, in this musical, one of, the, one of the preoccupations apparently, and I honestly don't know a ton about Alexander Hamilton, other than I don't think he rapped very often. Um, but uh, Hamilton is concerned with his legacy, right? And he's concerned with this idea and this question that's asked throughout this musical is, who lives, who dies, who tells our story or who tells your story? And he's concerned with who's gonna tell his story and how it's gonna be told. And I think that was actually a, a real uh, preoccupation for Alexander Hamilton how he would be remembered. Uh, but it does kind of bring up that question of how are we going to tell the story of our own denomination, our own roots? How, how is that story going to be told? Who has told it and how have they told it? Um, another quote that kind of just to get us thinking about these things is from uh, George Orwell. And you guys may be familiar with this. Um, it's, this is 1984, dystopian world. Uh, I think the main character's name is Winston. Um, is that right? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not talking about Orwell right now, but, uh, the, the character is, is his job is to rewrite the past. That's his, that's his job to go in and change things as they had been documented and take out things. And this is all based on what the Stalin uh, government had done in, in, in the Soviet Union. But the, the line of who controls the past controls the future and who controls the present controls the past. Um, it's really sinister. And, and I'm not gonna, this is not gonna be that sinister as far as like, I'm not gonna spout conspiracy theories about Baptist history, but it, it is very, very true that um, those who are doing history now are gonna shape the way we see the past and the way we see the past will shape who we think of ourselves currently. It will shape our current identity. And that's really what this is all about. How, what, is our, what is our identity and, and how is that being, being told? Okay, so those are the kind of questions we're going to get into. Okay, so 
Um, let's talk a little bit about what, I, what I'm going to call traditional uh, 17th century Baptist history or traditional Baptist historiography, if you want to use that, that term, the way the story has been told. Right? Uh, the way just about any classic history textbook has, has talked about this, you know, there's Baptist history textbooks that abound. Um, they've basically told the story from the point of view of there's two Baptist groups that emerge in the 17th century. Right now, we're not talking about American free will Baptists. We're just talking about the 17th century General Baptist. Uh, the first of these groups was actually the uh, General Baptist variety, uh, starting with uh, John Smith and Thomas Hellwes. Uh, these, these two were separatists. They went to Amsterdam. They decided that believer's baptism was correct. John Smith actually baptized himself and then baptized Helwes. Helwes later on broke with Smith over a variety of issues, and he went back to England to really start the first church. So Helwes was a believer in a few things. Believer's baptism, religious freedom, and Arminian theology, uh, which is pretty cool because he checks a lot of boxes, and, he's, and he, in some ways, begins a movement in England. The question of how that movement really continued and, and who followed him uh, is a little more murky historically. Like They weren't writing denominational histories. They, there was no denomination. But still, historians, these historians that I'm going to uh, give you have, have, have offered this as the, as the story. Then a particular Baptist emerged from a congregationalist church, a separatist church, Henry Jesse. Other people emerge out of this uh, that are Calvinist Baptists, particular Baptists or Calvinist Baptists. And that you know, begins in 1638. So the Arminian ones kind of emerge first and then the, the more Calvinist ones. Uh, but traditional historians have basically seen both groups as distinct, but part of one Baptist story. And, and part of the idea is, is, as Baptists came to America, they came from both streams and sometimes merged together. Or sometimes the particulars became a little more general. And the fact that they started believing in Christ's death for all. And then that happens later on, not in the 17th century. So they see all these as influencing one story, even in England. The Baptist, you know, they merged in um, 1891, I think it was, so there was a union of Baptists. So they see these as distinct parts of one story. Um, and not that you need to know these names, but if you're looking for historians to kind of tell things this way, Thomas Crosby wrote the first Baptist history. This was in 1738. Adam Taylor wrote one about General Baptist, but he certainly wasn't trying to pit these groups against each other so much, and that was in the 1800s. Uh, in the early 20th century, um, Whitley is one of the main names in Baptist history, and he certainly kind of sees General Baptist and particular Baptist as some, you know, they are Baptists, this Baptist identity thing. That they're not separate, really. Yeah, they had some disagreements, but they are all Baptist. Um, later 20th century historians that most people that do Baptist history definitely interact with, uh, uh, Barry White, B.R. White, and Leon Macbeth, and Macbeth's history book has, was the standard in just about any Baptist seminary in the country for, you know, he wrote it in the 80s and it was really standard for about 40 years, or has been standard for about 40 years. It's, that's starting to change, uh, but those are kind of major names that tell the story generally. I'm painting with broad brushes this way. Um, moving on, uh, just a, a little bit before we get into some current issues going on. Uh, free will Baptists have, have embraced, in some sense, this, 
this idea, but they've kind of highlighted the specifics of Baptist history, right, of, of general Baptist history. And a couple names to point to is William Davidson, if you guys are familiar with this book. Um, he wrote... Um, uh, he wrote the Federal Baptist in History. There's, it's an updated version of an older book. But he really does l talk about free will Baptists in America as borrowing from this General Baptist tradition of using the old General Baptist standard confession and modifying it. So he's linking it to that. There's other people that have done the same. Uh, Matt Pinson does a very similar thing in, in the Free Will Baptist Handbook um, where he really does look into people like Helwis, who's the founder, another theologian named Thomas Grantham. You guys, I'm sure there's some seats somewhere. Um, right there. Um, a theologian named Thomas Grantham, and he kind of looks at these guys as people to, people to look back to that we need to learn from. And, and in case you're wondering, Matt Pinson also wrote uh, articles or chapters in this book on Helwes and Grantham. Uh, to inform us more about their theology and their importance in, in kind of forming who Free Will Baptists are. Um, so I, I stole this from a, uh, Timothy George a little bit, uh, who's another, uh, who's a Southern Baptist scholar, but um, I think Pinson kind of falls along those same lines. The idea of we need, uh, we, we can have renewal of our own theology, our own identity, if we retrieve uh, the, the thought of people like Helwes and Grantham. And I think there's a lot, a lot going with that. I wanted to throw that in there to say this has been done before for sure. Um, but I want to get into some issues of why we need to keep writing, why we need to keep studying this stuff. Well, one of the reasons is, as you probably know, in the last 20 years or so, Calvinism has just become super cool, right? Um, it, has, uh, it has really swept a lot of the evangelical world. Right? Whereas in one point in time, Calvinism was a little more um, the domain of the frozen chosen kind of thing. And then uh, now websites like Gospel Coalition, people like John Piper, what, whatnot, they are extremely influential. I have the names John Piper and Al Mohler on there, but those are just two among many influential what you could call new Calvinist. Right? This, this emergence in the late 20th century, the 90s, where... Uh, there's a popularity among a younger generation to gravitate toward Calvinism in ways that really the country had not seen in over 100 years. Um, and as far as we're concerned, we don't need to talk about all the details of, of the new Calvinist emergence, but as far as we're concerned, you have to be able to say, okay, if new Calvinism is shaping things like Southern Baptist life, um, it's also going to shape the way the historians tell the story, right? And so it's going to shape Baptist history. And I think, I think you can, well, a little bit of what we're doing is fleshing out a, a thread in, in that. Um, I really like Timothy George and David Dockery and their work. Um, I think they've done a great job. Uh, both of them are definitely more on that reformed side of thing. And just kind of an example, when when Dockery and George published a book called Baptist Theologians, it's a good book. Um, if you should go get it if you want. Um, and it is as great kind of, it's a similar book to ours. It's, it's more uh, theologically, you know, packed, you know, packed full and, and less biographical. But uh, they write this kind of book that has stories of 
Baptist theologians. Well, I've, it's interesting in the 1990 version when they published it again in 2001, there is no biography or treatment of 17th century General Baptist. Every, every book said, oh, there's two streams of Baptist, and then they come along and they're like, oh, we don't have to talk about Hellwes. He might have started the thing, but we don't need to talk about his theology. Um, I'm not saying they're being, again, I'm not saying they're being sinister, um, but it was just not as important. They published it again in 2001, and they, I mean, they start with a very high Calvinist, John Gill, uh, who's, in the 17, um, who's in the 18th century. And that's who they start with for Baptist theology or, and Baptist theologian. So they ignore the 17th century altogether. Um, and it's their prerogative to write the book that they want to write. But it is interesting that these kinds of people are, you know, they're not part of the story. So if you look at that, you think, oh, Baptists don't have any theologians, especially there's no Arminian Baptist theologians in the 17th century. Well, I think you could definitely call Thomas Grantham a theologian, wrote about a 600-page theology work. I mean, it's a little chaotic at times in the structure, but, you know, so were most things written in the 17th century. Um, and Thomas Monk has a lot of really, really sound ideas and a confession of faith that he wrote and things like that. And it's, it's a little um, interesting that these guys are really not included in, in this picture. Um, I think especially when they redid it in 2001, to not include them uh, was, I, I think, more than just an oversight. But, you know, I'm not trying to, I love Timothy George's work. I'm not trying to uh, uh, be criti uh, too critical. Um, but as far as this rise of new Calvinism, you see it in things like um, Michael Haken's work. Michael Haken is a professor at Southern Seminary. Again, he's a good, good man and a godly man. Uh, he's written a lot of good history. He wrote a book on Kiffin, Knowles, and Keech. These are three 17th century particular Baptists. Um, but basically, I, it's funny, when he wrote this in 96, he calls that 17th century Calvinist Baptist a, a sorely neglected treasure. Um, in the last 20 years, very few scholars are neglecting the Calvinist heritage. They're, if anything, they're neglecting the more Arminian uh, heritage. But it's interesting that he said that in the late 90s, because I think uh, it did not take long for new Calvinism to, to really reshape the, the playing field there. Um, he sees Calvinist Baptists as the true founders of the Baptist tradition. Uh, that really is what the argument of this book is. We don't need to look to those aren't more Arminian leading guys to understand what it means to be Baptist. We need to look to the Calvinist guys. Um, and that's kind of the argument behind what's going on in, in this. Now, there may be some historical merit. There's plenty of Calvinists, or I'm sorry, there's plenty of Baptists that definitely have roots in Calvinism. Um, institutions like the Southern Baptist Denomination and Southern Seminary have very kind of Calvinist confessional statements historically. So it's not entirely inaccurate. But again, what's being focused on ever since kind of the rise of new Calvinism is going to be the Calvinist side of things. Um, when you say new Calvinism. Oh, new Cal so new Calvinism, I'm glad you, so new Calvinism, I'm kind of defining that as the emergence of, it's, it's not anything new as far as theologically, I, don't, I wouldn't think, but the emergence and popularity of Calvinism in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. So you know, people like R.C. Sproul had been doing it for a long time, but then you start seeing the rise of 
John Piper speaking to crowds of thousands of college students, right? And it's a, it's a, there's, there's this vitality and energy that's coming from a kind of like even, even, yeah, the young, restless, reformed, Kevin DeYoung, all, yeah, so that, that kind of, they're having an influence, right? I mean, Al Mohler, I didn't really speak about him as I, probably as well as I should, but Al Mohler's definitely a leader in that movement, and who's he hiring to teach at Southern? Well, he's, he's hiring people that fit the, the Calvinist, uh, or the Reformed, however you, you want to call that, uh, persuasion. So that's kind of become... I think it was only Bruce Ware the, who was a four-point... May, maybe so, yeah. Um, so, and, and so who's, who's Southern hiring? Those kinds of people. So what history books are being written? History from people like Haken that, that fit that mold, right? So that's, that's kind of what, um, I hope that, that's, yeah. that's clear. Um, another guy's name that I, I would know in this is Tom Nettles, also at Southern. Um, he, exi- you know, he was around before then, um, but, um, and he's kind of one of the, the leaders of this movement to say, hey, Southern Baptists and Baptists are historically Calvinist. That's really been his thing. We are historically Calvinist. Um, and again, that's not necessarily untrue, but if Baptists are historically Calvinists, well, what, a, what, about, what about us? Because <laughs> there's a history that goes back all the way to the 17th century then that doesn't get told, if that's the case. So here's a quote from Nettles. Um, Calvinism, popularly called the doctrines of grace, prevailed in the most influential and enduring arenas of Baptist denominational life until the end of the second decade of the 20th century. Um, that's his basic thesis statement in By His Grace, For His Glory. Um, and that, so I'll just say it this way, essential to being a Baptist in Nettle's mind is the idea of being reformed. That'd be a, the idea of being Calvinistic. The idea of believing in you know, unconditional election, those kinds of things. Um, well, that's not our story. And, and this is not a, I'm, we're not going to like argue about tulip all day, right? That's not what the point of this session is. But um, we all know it's not our, our story and who we are. It's not our identity. Uh, so it's interesting that there's these, there's these people coming from this point of view that are kind of challenging some basic assumptions about uh, what's going on in, in our own identity. And, and not necessarily just challenging our identity, but they're going to tell the story in a way that may increasingly, ex- and they are telling the story in a way that increasingly excludes any of the, those with a more Arminian flavor to them, right? Um, so what, what's to complicate things, and, and this does complicate things, maybe I should have left it out, but I'm going for it. Um, to complicate things, who else is doing Baptist history? Well, there are people doing Baptist history, and, and, um, and they're not all Calvinist, and they're not all in the SBC. Um, they're in institutions like Mercer or Wake Forest or, or Baylor, um, and those institutions have, have not been happy that the SBC has become more theologically conservative since the 19, late 1970s. So right, if you know anything about Southern Baptist history, you know that there's a, a rise of what we call um, the controversy, the, the conservative resurgence, and this is happening in 1979 to who knows when you put the end date on that, but I, I threw 2000 on there just because it's a nice round number. 
Um, and the, the people that have moved out of the SBC are writing history, but of course seeing Baptist history in a very different light. They're not going back and saying, oh, Calvinism is who we are. They're going back and saying, freedom is who we are. Baptists are about individual responsibility before God and individual freedoms and those kinds of things. So it's a different take. And, and, and you know, questions surround this as far as like, what does it mean to be Baptist? Does it mean to be confessionally Calvinist? Here's the confession. And it says this about election and predestination, and this is what I believe. Well, that's kind of what Nettles would say. Or what does it mean to be Baptist? Does it mean I believe in religious liberty? I believe in an individual's ability to choose whether or not they're going to be a Christian and then be baptized. Well, uh, Bill Leonard on the other side of those things is, is going to take that tack. Right? Um, so a couple books by Leonard, Baptist Ways, published in 2003, and then uh, The Challenge of Being Baptist, which I love that title. I'll get back to that in a second. But Baptist Ways is really a, a response to this. Who are Baptists? Well, they're not like those conservative Calvinist people are saying they are. They are different. They're all about freedom. Um, I think the challenge of being Baptist is, is such a telling title because I think for Leonard, it really is a challenge to be Baptist because uh, I, I'm a pretty kind of liberal, a liberal Christian in a lot of ways, and it it's, might be a challenge for him. Um, but... What is, so what does Leonard highlight? He highlights things like diversity of Baptist thought. Well, you had Arminians over here, and you had Calvinists over here, you had these people in the middle, and you had, right, he, he's going to show that diversity. What are, what are people like Nettles and Haken looking at? Oh, we were confessionally Calvinistic. We believed this. Right, so it's a different kind of, are we a diverse group of people? Or are we kind of monolithic and orthodox, right? Um, he downplays the importance of confessional commitment to Protestant orthodoxy. Uh, Baptists could believe all sorts of things and still be Baptist. Well, think about why he's saying that. Because a modern liberal Baptist can not believe in the Trinity and still be Baptist. Or not believe in, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, I don't, you might not even have to believe in believer's baptism and still be Baptist. Uh, it's more of a cultural inheritance in a, in a way, uh, in a mindset. And so, uh, for Leonard, General Baptist, though, he does, what's interesting about Leonard is he goes back to the General Baptist, and he says, those are the ones who we need to look to. And they, they offer this robust example of a different way to be Baptist, right? They were nonconformists. They didn't just fall in line with what the, all the Calvinists are saying. They didn't fall in line with what the, the government said in the 17th century. Now, if you know the 17th century, which we really haven't talked about history of the 17th century, but there is a civil war in the 1640s, there is the emergence of, uh, well, when the king comes back into power in the, in the Restoration in 1660, you start seeing a ton of persecution after that. Um, and so you have a, a, Baptists are kind of on the forefront of challenging power. They even fight in the Civil War against the king. Baptists even, some of them are, sign off on chopping his head off, Charles I's head off. So, Baptists are definitely on the forefront of establishing this, this political authoritarianism kind of thing, uh, the establishment. And so for Leonard, Baptists are 
kind of those nonconformists. So they're going to take, you know, fast forward this to the 21st century, where Leonard Baptists are going to challenge things like, you know, this, uh, the South is controlled by the Republican Party. They're going to challenge that, that notion, right? So that's kind of where he's coming from in this. Um, I, I don't know if I want to spend too much more time or any, really any more time on talking about that other side, but there's plenty of scholars on kind of the other side telling the story in a very, very different way, right? Well, let me just say it this way. I have a hard time falling in line with what Nettles and, and um, Haken, the, the Calvinist Baptist, are, are, are saying historically. I'm not sure if that's quite accurate. But I have also a really hard time in falling in line with what Leonard is saying, um, just because I don't think it's probably a good idea to make uh, the 17th century General Baptist out to be um, all, yeah, anarchist, all about freedom and, and really no restraints. I mean, was, wasn't there, they did write confessions that say we believe in these things and, and whatnot. So how do we understand them? Well, I'll say it this way. We have to develop our own way of understanding 17th century General Baptist because the Calvinist Baptists aren't going to do it and the liberal Baptists aren't going to do it, right? So it's up to us to figure out how, how we're going to tell the story, um, which is why we're here today. Um, let me give you, this probably belonged in the, in the Calvinist Baptist side, um, a book that I have found very interesting, very insightful, but also in some ways the biggest challenge to telling 17th century General Baptist story. The book is from a guy named Matthew Bingham. He's an incredible scholar. Oxford published it. I doubt I'll ever have Oxford publish anything I write. Uh, it's an Oxford University Press book. It costs like $180 if you want to buy it online. Go for it. Um, you can buy me a copy if you'd like. Um, so it's one of those, one of those academic uh, releases. Uh, it's called Orthodox Radicals. And he goes back to the 17th century and tries to dig into who these people were. And basically, he, you know that traditional history that I, uh, the, the historiography that I told, with you know those people like Crosby and and Macbeth and whatnot. He he kind of throws that all out the window, and he said we need to start over, and retell this story. And he looks more at particular, he looks almost exclusively at the Calvinist side of things, and he, he totally reinterprets early particular Baptist identity based on the supposition that denominational labels in the 17th century are anachronistic. What do I mean by that? Anachronistic means we're reading in future things into the past. Well, he's kind of right. Like, they weren't saying we're General Baptist. They were saying we're Christian. And they, because there was no denominational label at the time. That, that kind of emerges in the, in the late 17th century. Uh, but in the early, you know, Helwes wasn't saying I'm General Baptist. So it is sort of anachronistic. You're reading in the, or the future developments into the past. I, I totally get that. But we also, I, I think he kind of fails to realize we actually need a little bit of anachronism. Right? Like how do you do American history? Well, do you start with 1776? Do the colonies not matter? No, they, they certainly matter, right? They shaped who these people were. But there was no United States. So you can't do United States history until the Declaration. 
But you can't just start there because that doesn't make any sense. There's no context for the declaration, right? So you've got to read a little bit back, back in there. And, and um, so I think he goes too far. That's, that's what I would say. He sees particular Baptists not as a distinct denomination. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. But as Puritan Congregationalist. What is Bingham trying to do? He's trying to make the particular Baptist to be Orthodox, Protestant, mainstream. You know, that's the, 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 the word there, Orthodox, is, is more important than the word radical. Um, right? They're, that's who, that's who the, the particular Baptists were. Well, what about those general Baptists? It's interesting, there's an entire book on Baptist or identity. Uh, the subtitle is Baptist Identity in the English Revolution. He does not talk about General Baptist, other than in a footnote that basically says, it might not be a footnote, it might be a little paragraph, um, but he basically says they're not relevant to this story. He comes out and says that they are not relevant because he sees them as fundamentally something other than what the English General Baptist were. Completely different things. And the question is, well, what were they then? Were they not something similar to those other Baptists? Um, uh, he denies the existence of any continuous strand of General Baptists throughout the 17th century. He associates them with radical sex. He, uh, in a, he, said he has a separate article that really talks about this. Oh, look at all these General Baptists that became Quakers. They were basically just radical. They didn't know what they believed. They were just roaming around from place to place trying to figure things out. Um, it's kind of how he, he interprets them. Um, he associates them with more heterodox or heretical ideas. And that's kind of how he casts them. That's the light he casts them in. Um, he, he says, this is a quote, the term General Baptist is a category that does not have a coherent, stable, continue, uh, continuous point of reference during the period, the first half of the 17th, first half of the 17th century. Right? It does not have a coherent, stable, continuous point of reference. So, who were the 17th century General Baptists? If you follow Bingham, you really have no reference point. You that term is irrelevant. It's anachronistic. If you guys want to see up here, you can, if you want to sit down. Um, the term is anachronistic, and they're not really a thing uh, that we can talk about. So then, again... What do we do about Thomas Helwes, who founded the Baptist movement in England, the first guy baptizing believers in England, uh, at least as part of kind of some sort of movement? What do we do about that guy? What, what do we do about the theology of Thomas Grantham? I mean, it's pretty influential work, and it's long. And a lot of people read it. So can, is there nothing we can go back to? Um, I don't, have my, I don't have time today to really kind of pick apart Bingham's argument. It's something that I'm working on in my spare time, all the spare time I have. Um, but I, I, really, I, I really am trying to, because he's a, he's a good historian, so you, got, you have to really, but there are some serious flaws in his argument. Yes, General Baptist, the people that we're talking about didn't call themselves General Baptist usually. They may not have had a really strong denominational identity in the 16 tens, you know, uh, 20s, 30s, and 40s, 50s even. And yeah, no, not necessarily a denomination in, in our modern sense for sure. Um, 
And I think we can say there was some sort of movement, some sort of tradition that, that carried on. And we need to be able to talk about that with some nuance and with some intelligence and, and get into what's going on. So um, there's, there's an overview of what's going on in the, the layout of the historiography, right? Um, that's sort of what, what's going on there. So it brings me back to the question. Who tells, who tells our story? Um, I think what I've tried to show is people of a certain theological persuasion are probably going to tell our story in a way that doesn't really quite match what we want to be told. Um, and then people of a certain other theological persuasion, you know, the, the conservatives over here or the, the conservative Calvinists over here and the liberals over here are probably not actually going to really tell it in a way that that we think is the, the best way to tell it. Um, so that's in part of why, why we're telling the story. So that's why we wrote a book. It's, it's edited. It has a lot of different authors. It wasn't just me and Charles writing it. Um, it is uh, written by uh, various contributors. Um, uh, Kevin Hester here, he wrote a couple chapters. Uh, Matt Pinson wrote a few chapters. Um, various people from around our denomination, even some people outside, contributed to the, um, the writing of a biographical history. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about the book, but I'll just say it is intended to be introductory. It's intended to get your feet wet in who the characters are that we can know and point you to other resources. So it's not by any means uh, supposed to be kind of like the definitive work of Free Will Baptist history. Um, but who are the characters that we have in this? You know, there's like, it's a biographical history. Uh, so who are the cast of characters? Um, this is something was interesting trying to think through. How can we summarize who they were and their identity? Um, well, I think I, I, we can say that people that are talked about in this book, um, I wrote a chapter on a guy named Thomas Lamb. Um, I, I, he and Helwes and others, you know, they're, they're, they contribute to this vibrant tradition. Are they free will Baptists? No. The 17th century ones. The, the later ones are free will Baptists, but these guys in the 17th century, they're not necessarily free will Baptists. Lamb believed strongly in things like perseverance, right? He was a, you know, once saved, always saved sort of guy. But he did believe in Christ's death for all in the middle of a Calvinist context, right? And that's Christ's death for all, believer's baptism is sort of what he, you know, the air he breathed and what he preached. Um, so he contributed to this tradition of a general Baptist uh, movement. Um, so they're contributors to this vibrant tradition that, that we inherited. Um, they were mostly con committed to Protestant or Orthodoxy. The ones that we have in here, I think, were uh, you, could, you could say they're all Orthodox. Um, not all 17th century General Baptists were as Orthodox as we would like them to be. Um, and that's just the reality. But, they, uh, but there, is, there are plenty of people that we can look back to and say, hey, they were Orthodox in their thought. They were Orthodox in their views on the Trinity. They were Orthodox in, in their view of who God was and who Christ was and, and in Scripture and those kinds of things. Um, there's also some diversity, you know. Bill Leonard's right in saying that not everyone thought the same. I mentioned Lamb. He, he, uh, his theology is definitely on, more on the Calvinist spectrum, although he believed in Christ's death for all. Someone like Grantham is definitely more Arminian. In his, in his viewpoint. Um, and so there is some diversity of thought in these people. We need to make sure we don't say things like, well, because this one guy said it, 17th century General Baptist 
believed this. Well, yeah, some of them did. <laughs> it's kind of like saying free will Baptists all believe this. Well, there's going to be some things that we don't all believe. And, and, and that's just, you know, we need to treat, the, treat history with the same kind of uh, common sense that we also treat the present, right? And not just pick and choose, hey, we, they believe this, they believe that. Um, these categorical statements. Um, so they were diverse in their thought in a lot of ways. And, and I bring up someone like Lamb to point that out, right? Lamb was different in his theology than Grantham or Helwes um, in a lot of ways. Um, unfortunately, there are people that aren't in this book but uh, are talked about in the chapter on Thomas Monk. There's a guy named Matthew Caffin who was, was not at all orthodox in his, in his view of Christ. He, he seems to at least at some point become pretty Arian, meaning that Christ was created and then, you know, uh, then he saved us, but Christ is not equal to God. And, um, but people like Monk said no to that sort of thinking. Um, so there's definitely orthodox. Um, they, are, they are radical. The General Baptists were radical in a lot of ways. They were willing to challenge traditional assumptions. They were willing to challenge traditional assumptions about baptism, about the nature of the church. It's a believer's church. You're not born into it. They were willing to challenge traditional notions about, you know, Calvinism kind of prevailed. Uh, they were willing to challenge notions about that. Um, there's a lot of things that they were willing to challenge. Um, and part of the being radical means getting to the root. And they were going back to the root of that New Testament church. That's what they were trying to do. And that's why, you know, you can call them, I think you can call them primitivists, as in trying to recreate the primitive church of the New Testament. That was, their, that was really their impulse. Um, and I think they were pretty, and this is a loaded word, pretty biblicist. And biblicist can be negative or positive. Biblicist in the sense of the priority on Scripture, right? Huge priority on Scripture. Um, I forgot what it was. It was in, there's something in Thomas Helwes that Mr., uh, that Dr. Penson pointed out that said, like, he disagreed with, I, maybe something to do with singing. I forgot what it was. It's in my book, but I didn't write that chapter. Um, or, like, singing hymns, that, that's not in Scripture. Maybe, I don't, I don't think they had any songs, and it was like, well, no New Testament church sang, so we're not going to sing, or, you know, so, something along those lines, because it was very much, here's what the Bible says, that's how we're going to do it. Um, so, yeah, they were pretty biblicist. Um, sometimes that leads to problems. You know, the Bible doesn't have the word Trinity, and then people are willing to be like, well, we're not sure about the Trinity. Well, that's, that's biblicism going way too far. And so I say they're mostly biblicist. Well, there's also people writing confessions that say, spell out the Trinity. Well, again, there's some diversity going on that I think we all need to be aware of. Um, Last thing here, um, part of this book and what I want this, I, I've tried to lay out kind of the historiographical factors of why we need to tell our story. There's other people telling it or not telling it, and it's up to us to tell it. Um, so there are areas for more study. Um, and in this book, I think in a lot of ways is an invitation to be like, hey, read it, and then people need to explore this. People, especially doing, you know, uh, uh, in college or in seminary, need to need to look at some of these topics and dig into them more, right? So things like uh, denominational identity, um, how how do we really talk about that in an intelligent way? Before the um, 
before the emergence of a real uh, General Baptist denomination. Uh, their soteriology, I mentioned how Lamb was very different, but I think you're going to find diversity even with people like Thomas Monk uh, and, and Grantham um, and, and Ellis. There's, there's not just a, a uniform uh, doctrine of salvation. It's not completely uniform. Um, and that's, that's just the way it was historically. So we can get into that and, and kind of look and see where those differences are. Um, their political theology, I've already said they joined the New Model Army and killed the king. Um, they're not the only ones who did it. Um, but they certain, And they also fought for religious freedoms. Something Jesse Owens is going to talk about religious freedom at some point in time here, and I look forward to that because that's definitely a big part of what they did. Right? So their political theology, I think, deserves some more um, uh, looking into. And then kind of the role of Scripture and tradition. Yes, a lot of biblicism, but you know, someone like Thomas Grantham, who's in this book, he, he published the Standard Confession of 1660, and alongside of it put statements from the church fathers that he found in agreement with the Standard Confession. And so Grantham had this idea that, that tradition was important. This is in the 1770s you know, uh, when he did that. That what the church has been saying historically, we can't just completely ignore. Um, but he's also willing to challenge some things. Right? They may, so what's the role of Scripture and tradition? I think that needs a lot more thinking about. I mean, people need to talk about that sort of thing. And, and that helps us form our own theology and, and know where we stand. Um, things to avoid. Um, making historical figures in our image. Um, in part, that's what I was talking about when, you know, Calvinist Baptists will come back and say these, you know, they were all Calvinist, or a liberal Baptist will come back and say, oh, they're all about freedom. Well, I think we're kind of making them in our image. We need to make sure we don't do that. Now, of course, we're going to be studying them because of our affinity toward them. We can't ignore that. Right? We have real affinity with these people because they were Arminian and they were Baptist, and that's us. But we don't also need to make them out to be us. Right? We need to be careful historically. Um, and I, I think this is probably the same point being made twice, right? Allowing our theological commitments to distort the past, right? Just because we believe this, we don't need to, to distort what's going on. We need to um, have really, you know, sound methodology and honest commitment to what was going on historically, right? Um, so that's kind of the, the lay of the land there. Um, it's a lot of why we wrote the book, and it's a lot of why the book exists to... to I kind of see this as, let's get this conversation uh, going a little bit. Not that the conversation, you know, we're not the first to, to bring it up, but let's get things going and thinking about who we are, how we can better tell our story. Um, and then uh, specifically when it comes to 17th century, there's, you could do something similar with the 18th and 19th century. Just, of course, that's not what we're, what we're doing today.